God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 16? That's where we're going to be today, and we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video, as you already know, I'm sure, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Now, we're continuing along in our journey through the book of Genesis. Remember, Ha-Sefer Bereshit, Ha-Sefer Bereshit. And now we've come to the 16th chapter, and we're still studying in the life of Abraham Avinu, Abraham our father the father of the Jewish people, the father of all who believe in Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, the Mashiach. And I'd like to talk to you today about waiting on God. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have been waiting on God for different things in your life. Well, that's what our story today is. It's, it's all about waiting, Abraham waiting on God. You know, it seems like we're living in an age in which we can get almost anything we want as fast as we want. 20 years ago, if we wanted to buy something, we had to get ready. We had to go to the store and we were looking for things. And if they didn't have it, we had to go to another store and then another store. And until finally we found what we're looking for, we settled for something that we really didn't want. But now we can just go online using the Internet and find anything we want. We can go to Amazon.com and type in whatever we're looking for. And Amazon will search through millions of products from thousands of stores, really, and give you several different choices of what you want, how you want to pay for it, and when you want to receive it. You don't even need to walk out of your door. Within a day or two, the thing shows up at your door. Whatever you bought is just right there in front of you. It seems like everything you want, you get right now in today's world. You no longer have to wait. As soon as you figure out what you want, you can get what you want. Of course, you have to pay for it too. That's a whole different story. But that means that we don't often wait for the right time. Yeah, and there is a right time for everything. Like the book of Ecclesiastes said, there's a time for everything under heaven. God knows the perfect time. I'll tell you why timing is important. Envision this. You could drive through a parking lot looking for a parking place, something close to the door. And the place you want to go to is just right there, right across the parking lot from that close parking place. But sometimes you'll just pass by the cars in those close places and none of them are open. And yet after you've already passed by a place, in your rearview mirror, you see that car that's just pulled out and he's leaving. And sure enough, someone else who is already behind you pulls into that parking place that was just freed up. What just happened? You were in the right place, but at the wrong time. If you would have just been driving through the parking lot, maybe a minute later, you would have gotten that really nice parking place instead. You see, timing can be important. You have to have the right timing. But we humans don't know the future. We don't know exactly when things will happen. In fact, we don't even know what exactly is going to happen. But God does. He knows when and He knows what. He knows where 
and He knows what's best for you. He knows the perfect time in which everything will happen. He knows the best timing for everything in your life too. And that's why it's important to commit your way to the Lord and wait on Him and let Him make the decisions in your life. Just at the right time, He'll have you in just the right place to receive the very best that He has for you. If you just wait on the Lord. But too many times we get all excited about something and we want it and we want it now. And we do everything we can to make it ours as quickly as possible. And when we let our emotions rule our lives, we'll inevitably make mistakes. And some of those mistakes will be serious mistakes that can really bring you great pain and great sorrow in life. Well, that's the way it was with Abram in Genesis chapter 16, our chapter today. As you recall, Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. She hadn't been able to have a baby since they were married, and it's now been a long time since they were first married. And they both see themselves getting older, but they still don't have any children. They begin thinking that they better do something, or they won't have any children at all by their marriage. Yet God had already promised Abram, remember, all of these descendants, as we've been studying the last few weeks, He's promised him all of these descendants that would somehow come from him. God had a plan. God knew what His plan was. It just wasn't going to happen as fast as Abraham and Sarai wanted it to happen. So they came up with their own plan. Based on mere human reasoning instead of the wisdom of God, they decided they weren't going to wait on God any longer. Have you ever done that? Decided that you're just going to take matters into your own hands? Well, that's exactly what Abraham and Sarai did. They were going to take those matters into their own hands and get what they wanted, and they were going to get it now. But the timing was wrong, you see. The plan was wrong as well. They were relying on the logic and the reasoning of man instead of the perfect wisdom of God. And as a result, their plan brought them a great deal of sorrow. But God's plan would bring you a great deal of joy and happiness. His plan would have shown them that a wonderful miracle was going to happen, and He was going to do that. It would be a story that would bring glory to God throughout thousands of years and bring mankind into awe at the wonderful miracles that God would do for His children. Let's read in our chapter today and see how the story works out. It says in Genesis 16, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Verse 2 says, So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan is when this happened. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. Now what he's saying there is he had sexual relations with Hagar. Now you may remember that Abram... When he first came to the land of Canaan, he was there for a while, there was a very severe famine in the land. And Abram was worried about not getting enough food, not getting water. 
He was worried about his family dying and everything. And he went down to Egypt because he thought that there was food and water and everything down there that he needed. Well, during that trip to Egypt, he lied to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army, his men. He said that his wife, Sarai, was really his sister. Well, that was a lie. It was actually a half-sister. I mean, she was a relative, but she was his wife. Let's be honest. Sarai was his wife, but he was doing that to protect his own life. Here's what we're seeing then. First of all, there's two problems. First of all, he even came down to the land of Egypt because he was called to Canaan, where Israel is today. He wasn't called to Egypt. God had taken care of him in the whole trip from Ur of the Chaldeans into Canaan, the land of Canaan. He had taken care of him in all of these things, including those four kings and the mighty armies that he had gone after with only 318 armed servants there. He had gone after them and somehow, miraculously, by the hand of God, defeated those four armies of those four powerful and mighty kings who had come down and just wiped out all the kings of the plains down by Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities down there. And God had taken care of Abram and everything he had done, everywhere he went, and God had been faithful. God had never let Abram down. But here's Abram going down to Egypt because he's worried about having enough to eat. Couldn't God that gave Abram the miracle victory over those four kings and their really huge armies with only 318 people that he had with him, couldn't God have also fed Abram? Well, of course he could. Abram was thinking about his own capabilities. And whenever you think about your own capabilities and just what you're limited to, you're going to be selling God short. God wants to do for you far more than you can imagine. And here you are looking at only what you can do. Why don't you get your mind off of yourself? Get your eyes off of yourself and other people. Put them on the Lord God Almighty. He is El Elyon, God Most High. Remember Melchizedek? the priest of God Most High. And after God, after God brought Melchizedek and Abram together, Abram started calling God, God Most High. What does that mean? He is Most High. He's higher than you. He's higher than Abram. He's higher than any imagination that Abram could come up with. He's higher than any plan Abram could come up with. The Lord says in the book of Yeshayahu, Hanavi, Isaiah the prophet, he says, my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord, as the heavens are above the earth. And so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, as the heavens are above the earth. He is God most high. He's higher than all of us. His wisdom is higher than our wisdom. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows the future. You don't know the future. You barely know what's going on around you. Especially if you're a guy, you can't multitask. That's what we're told. We can't do two things at once. It's hard to move, you know, and do two things at once. That's why we have to walk one foot first and then the other foot because we can't walk with both feet forward at the same time. You see what I'm saying? That's a little weird, huh? Maybe I'll edit that out of the video. Nah, we'll keep it. So anyway, we see this situation now to where Sarai comes up with his idea. And what basically is not being said here is they're really thinking, you know what? We've been waiting for the Lord to give us these descendants for a long time. 
And he hasn't given us these descendants, Abram. And I can't have a baby. God is keeping me from having a baby. So here's my plan and how we'll have a baby. Now, did you notice what's going on there? Sarai recognizes that it's the Lord that's keeping her from having a child. And yet she's trying to work around what the Lord is doing by making it happen anyway. as rebelling against God. She admits that it's the Lord that's keeping her from having that child. And then she goes about trying to find a way to work around what God is doing with her life. It'd be better to seek God and say, God, I know that you are all wise. I know that you have the perfect ways. You have the perfect plan. You have the perfect timing. Oh, God, we'll just wait on you. But no, she said, Lord, you are keeping me from doing this. The Lord is keeping me from having a child, Abram, my husband. And so here's my plan, how we'll have a child anyway. You see the problem there? That's a problem, rebelling against God. The other problem was when Abram heard what she wanted to do by giving her maid Hagar to him, he agreed. It's kind of like Adam and Eve. Remember, Eve, and ate, ate, Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden at first and then gave it to her husband, and then he ate. He didn't object. He should have objected. He was his own person. He was his own man. He should have taken a stand for what the Lord had told them to do. It's the same story here. Abram is taking Hagar as the maid and is going to have sex with her so that they can have a child. Now, if you think about what's going on there, where did Hagar come from? Well, when he was down in Egypt and had to lie about his wife, first thing he was down in Egypt to begin with, that was wrong. Then he lied about his wife being his sister. Well, that was wrong. But guess who they also acquired down there while they were in Egypt? Hagar, Sarai's maid. And now here she is. And she's being used by Sarai, Abram's wife, and says, well, here, uh, have relations with her and, and maybe we'll have a baby by her and we'll call that baby our own, you see. And so it said this in the first four verses. Man's wisdom and man's plans trying to take the place of God. And why was all this happening? Because Sarai and Abram did not wait on God. Now, it says, continuing then, in the other part of verse 4, it says, And when she saw that she had conceived, when Sarai saw that Hagar had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Sarai became despised in Hagar's eyes because she was basically thinking, Hagar was thinking, well, I can have a baby. What's wrong with you? I guess God blesses me more as a wife for Abram than he does you because you can have a baby and I can. And then Sarai in verse 5 said to Abram, her husband, my wrong be upon you. <laughs> Notice what she's saying. I did wrong. I admit it. But you're to blame. Guys, sometimes maybe you hear those words, right? It's, it's her wrong, but you're to blame. Now, guys, let's be honest with each other. There's many times when you are to blame. And she's not wrong. 
it, it falls both ways. That's what I'm saying. And I better be quiet about that before I get myself into trouble. I may need a ride home tonight. Uh, we'll pray about that. But she says to Abram, her husband, Sarai says, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace for you to hold. And when she saw, when my maid saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. So now my maid doesn't even serve me anymore. She thinks she's better than me. The Lord's judge between you and me is what she said. Even though it was her idea... It was all her fault to begin with. Abram also participated, so he was at blame as well. But she's still at blame. She can't take away that blame and put it totally on Abram. But there was blame to go around for both of them. They're both involved in this sin. Neither one of them waited on the Lord. So Abram said to Sarai in verse 6, Indeed, your maid is in your own hand. Do what you want. Do as you please. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, Hagar fled from her presence. Now look at what Abram is doing. Look at what he said in verse 6. Oh, your maid is in your own hands. Do whatever you think is best. Abram, you should have taken a stand then. You should have recognized that you did wrong too, that you were not waiting on the Lord, just like Sarai, your wife, wasn't waiting on the Lord. And now she comes to you, and Sarai says, you judge between, the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to his wife, indeed, your maid is in your own hands. You take care of it. Do it to her as you please. He should have taken the stand. He should have said, Sarai, now, I did what you said earlier, and that wasn't right. I've been thinking about it a lot, and I shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have even thought that either. The Lord is going to come around at the perfect time. We just need to wait on God a little longer. God has always been faithful. He's always been true. Everything He's told me He's going to do, He's done. And here we are waiting for Him to give us these descendants which obviously means he's got to give us a child before we can have the descendants. He's got to give me a son. So we should wait on him. I'm not going to participate in this any longer. You and Haggai just get together and work it out. And then he could have talked to Haggai and says, Don't you be dissing my wife. Don't you be saying and thinking bad things about my wife. She is still your mistress, and you are her maidservant. But instead, in verse 6, Abraham says to Sarai, uh, Do whatever you think is best, dear. That's not being the man of the family right there. That's not even being the decisive person. And when I say being the man of the family, even the women have got to be godly women when it comes to them to make decisions and say things and do things. The man has to be the man. The woman has to be the woman. And the man has to be a man of God. And the woman has to be the woman of God, you see. But we look at these things and they got into trouble because they weren't waiting on the Lord. Then it says in verse 7, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her, found Haggai, by a spring of water in the wilderness. Remember, she left Abram and Sarai because uh, because Sarai had kicked her out. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, 
by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Humble yourself, he was saying. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. There'll be so many of them, you can't even count them. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son. I see, you're pregnant, and you're going to bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now in Israel, in Hebrew, we say Shomea. Okay, are you listening? Are you hearing? Elishmoa, I... I I want to hear. I want to listen. So that's where Shamel, Shamel come from. But Shema is like we'd say in the Shema for Israel. Shema O Israel, Adonai Elohim Adonai Echad. Shema Israel, Adonai Echad. So you see that it means listen. But then El, like we've said before, is just a shortened way of saying Elohim. So God says, behold, you're with child and you're going to have a son and you will call his name Ishmael. He was saying you will call his name Ishmael because the Lord hears your affliction. Now let's stop right there at verse 11. Notice something that the Lord had been speaking with Abraham. And Abraham indeed is a special man to the Lord. Sarai is a special woman to the Lord. But here's Haggai, the maidservant of Sarai. And they didn't have the protection of all of those uh, people that worked in Abraham's community at that time. They didn't have all of the provision and the food and the livestock to pull from to eat well and to drink well and everything so that they would survive and thrive. They didn't have people to watch over them and take care of them out there in the wilderness. And when she was kicked out of Abram's camp, she had to go to the wilderness. Now you'll notice that word wilderness, the first four letters of wilderness is wild. That means there's wild animals out there. That means it's all wild. There's no candles for light at night. And yet creatures creep around in the night. You can't see them coming. They can see in the night. You can't. It's scary out there. You could lose your life very quickly even the first night. And here's Haggai out in the wilderness. And what does God do? He didn't say, well, Haggai, you know, you're not part of Abraham's family and everything. You're not part of the blessing. So just get on out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. God didn't say that. Our God is love. God went after her and found Haggai, even though she was the maidservant. He found her out in the middle of the wilderness and said, Haggai, what are you doing out here? And then she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And then God said, you know what, Haggai? Go ahead and go back to your mistress. Submit yourself under her hand. Don't be arguing with her. Don't be trying to be above her. You just serve her and do the best you can. That's the way we should be, you know, in life. 
Haggai, really, uh, Hagar, I'm sorry. Hagar here is really an example. Do you work for a boss that's not treating you right? It's not your job to pay that boss back. It's not your job to talk about him behind his back, talk about her behind her back. It's your job to represent the Lord and how the Lord loved those who, even those who didn't know him, even those who were against him, even hanging on the cross, ask for God to forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That's the way God wants you to be. He wants you to be a man. He wants you to be a woman after his own heart, you see. And God is love. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Imitate your heavenly Father. Be imitators of God, is what Paul had said in Babrit Chadashah in the New Testament. And so God says now, return to her. Submit yourself under her hand. He didn't mean to submit yourself and all the time be angry with her. And every time she asks you something, just turn your head quickly and walk away. He said, submit yourself under her hand. That means be subject to her. Be pleasant. Smile. When she curses you, you bless back. The angel of the Lord was trying to tell her how God wanted her to live her life as well. And then God says, and oh, by the way, you don't have to worry about that son of yours. He's going to survive. He's going to be born. He's going to survive. In fact, he's going to turn into a whole lot of descendants, it said in verse 10. And I will multiply your descendants exceedingly through the sun, you see, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. They're above counting, too many to even count. And verse 11 then says, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're with child. You're going to bear a son, he said. You will call his name Ishmael. Remember, the angel of the Lord, that's God himself, angel of the Lord is saying, Remember, Hagar, I heard you. And I hear you. You didn't think anyone would hear you out here. You didn't think anyone was even around. You thought I only cared about Abram. But Hagar, God loves everyone. And he created man and woman in his image. All of the nations. Yes, the Jewish people are a special people. Yes, Abram had a special calling and has a special calling for the Yehudim or the Jewish people. Am Israel, the nation of Israel. But Hagar... He's saying, I love you too, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of your child. But here's what's going to happen with your child, since God knows the future. He's not pronouncing a curse on Ishmael, Hagar's son, but he's simply saying that once a person has freedom of choice, they will choose their own ways, whether to go the way of God or to go the way of their own heart and their own mind. And if they go the way of their own heart and their own mind, Humans fall into evil and wickedness and they just get worse and worse because that sin is already in their heart, you see. So God has said, now your son, in verse 12, is going to be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand will be against him. And he'll dwell in the presence of all of his brothers. All the people that are part of him that descended from him, he'll dwell there. But he's going to be someone that just doesn't get along with anyone else. Everywhere he goes, there's going to be problems because his hand is going to be against every man. That's what verse 12 is saying. And he'll dwell in the presence of his brothers. Verse 13 then says, 
Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She didn't say anything about what was going to happen with her son. She was just so happy that the Lord had spoken to her and given her assurance that she was going to live and sending her back to where she could live there. Then she could tell Sarai that the Lord talked to me and he told me to come back. So here I am. What do you want me to do, my mistress? Verse 13, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I also hear, have seen him who sees me. Not only did God hear her crying out there in the wilderness, but he sees her. And she says, I've seen the one who sees me, who sees me wherever I am, who sees me no matter what situation I'm in who cares for me, who sees me and wants to comfort me because he sees my tears. Verse 14 then says, Therefore the well where she was, the spring of water, was called Be'er Lahai Rui. Be'er, and by the way, it's the same word that's used in Beersheba. Beersheba in the southern part of Israel, in the, in the barren land down there where the well was that the forefathers had, had uh, dug. And that well, and this is another well, Be'er Lahairo'i. And that's the name of the place that it was called. And that's what she named that well. And it's between Kadesh and Bered. Kadesh and Bered. Now you look at verse 15 as we wrap up this chapter. And it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. You know what that says? That says that Abram believed Hagar's story. And Sarai was okay with that. Remember, because this son was supposed to be Sarai's son too, and she was just going to have this son through Hagar instead. But they both agreed that God had apparently spoken to her, and so they took the name that God told her to name the child. And they called him Ishmael. And by calling him Ishmael, what are they doing? They're agreeing with her. Yeah? God heard you. Verse 16 then says, in the last verse in this chapter, Abram was 86, 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. 86 years of age. Now, if you're thinking about how you run around with a teenager that was born to you at 86 years of age, I'm not so sure that would work. You know, you'd have to hire people to run around with that teenager and to keep up with that little child and everything like that. But here's Abram, 86 years of age, blessed by the Lord. But still, he wasn't as old as God wanted him to be before he gave him the real promised son from which all of his descendants were going to become. But what we see in this chapter is Abram and Sarai were tired of waiting on God. And so what did they do? They took matters into their own hands. Well, we're going to find out later in the Bible and on down through history and even all the way up to the modern times that what they did turned out to be a real problem. And even today, so much of the animosity against Israel comes from the lineage that started at Ishmael. Now, is that saying that Ishmael's seed is evil? No, it's not saying that at all. In every generation and in every ethnicity on earth, 
there are good people and there are bad people. But there was a lot of animosity that came from the side on which Ishmael gave rise to. And a lot of animosity and enmity between them and the Jewish people that came through Isaac when Abram had the promised child 13 years later when he was going to be 99 years of age, not 86. But 99, that was the perfect timing in which God was going to give them the miracle child. Now you notice something here. God was saying, okay, maybe you could have a child at 86. Maybe you could father a child, but keep in mind, this wasn't the mother who was Sarai. This was Hagar, a younger lady, no doubt. And so apparently... They could have a child, but mostly not because of Abram, but because of the fertility of the younger lady, Hagar. But Abram and Sarai, 86 years of age, and we already know that Sarai is about nine years younger than him. God is going to wait until Abram is 99 and wait until Sarai is 90 years of age before he gives them the miracle child. Why was that? What was God doing? He wanted to make sure that everybody understood that this just doesn't happen with man. That this is impossible for a 90-year-old woman to have a child. This is impossible for a 99-year-old man to be the father of a child. And yet God was doing that because He is the God of the impossible. And He would get the glory out of this. And Abram and Sarai and all down through the centuries, everyone would know the great and mighty God had made a miracle by giving Abram a child when he was 99, by giving him a child for his wife Sarai when she was 90 years of age. God had a reason. And not only to get the glory, but God had a reason for the perfect timing there. And he had the perfect timing. There were things he was still doing in Abram and Sarai's life. And he didn't want that child there at that time. God knew the future of Isaac as well. And he knew what time would be the best time for him to arrive on the planet, you see. It's the wisdom and the glory of God. That's what we're talking about today. That's what we're talking about today. And so in this chapter, we can see that we need to wait on the Lord as well. He knows what's best for you. And He'll not give you anything that will hurt you. He wants to bless you and protect you, not hurt you. But you have to guard your own heart so that you don't try to do things on your own. You don't know the future. You don't know what the future will bring. You don't know when the best timing is. But God knows the future. He knows the best timing. And He knows not only the very best things to give you in life, but He also knows the perfect time to give them to you. If you try to do it all on your own, you're going to mess up. And you're going to miss out on the wonderful things that God wants to give you. Here's what I'm saying. Wait on the Lord. You can give all those decisions and cares to Him. And He will take care of you perfectly. Only in His care, only in His hands, will you truly be safe and secure. Just give it all to Him and rest in His love. Amen. Why don't you give your life to God right now, today? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. 
He'll rescue you from that darkness that you're in and He'll shine that light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven and that's guaranteed by God Himself. Now we want to give you a chance today, an opportunity to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord to receive God's peace in your life that we've been talking about. That kind of peace that you can know that your life is in His hands and it'll all work out good because of that. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can just pray something like this and you can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your Son, Jesus Christ is Lord. Please forgive all of my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that He's making in your heart, in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.